Today we're starting a series called Meeting Spiritual Needs. The goal of this series is to help us to see the needs and feel the hurts of the lowest of those around us so that we will reach out to them and do what we can to help them. Part of what I pray we learn from this study is that meeting spiritual needs is a work that each and every believer is called to do. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are meant to follow His example. Following the example of Jesus requires us to see the world differently. We must learn to see the needs and feel the hurts of the people around us just as Jesus did. However, it's not enough to see the needs. We must also do something about those needs. As James says, what good does it do to see someone in need of food and clothing and simply say, be warm and well fed? Once we've seen the needs... We must then begin to do what we can to help meet those needs. And meeting spiritual needs is a work that Jesus calls us to do. Meeting spiritual needs is a work that follows the example of Jesus. And every time we do what we can to meet the spiritual needs of those around us, we are doing the work of God. And today I want to prepare us for doing this work of God by reminding us that there is an enemy who will always oppose the work of God. The enemy always opposes the work of God and he opposes it in a variety of ways. Regardless of the way he opposes us or opposes the work, the goal is always the same. To stop the work of God. Keep in mind, that is a huge part of what Satan wants to do in each one of our lives. He wants us to stop doing the things that God wants us to do. Today we're going to see from the book of Nehemiah. Some of the methods and tactics the enemy uses to oppose us and what we can do to keep on going. Open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 6. It's page 374 in the Pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at most of the chapter, but I'm just going to read the first three verses today. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, and there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors on the gates, that Sanballat, Geshem, sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together in the villages in the plain of Ono, but they fought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you? The title of the message this morning is Facing Opposition. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we need you to be at work in our lives. We need you to transform the way that we see the world around us, that we can see as Jesus saw, that we can care as Jesus cared, and we can do as Jesus did. Father, as we seek to live and act and be like Jesus, there will always be opposition. There will always be an enemy who seeks to stop us from doing your will and doing your work. Father, we need to be wise to his schemes. We need to be aware of the way that he works and things that he will do. And we need, we just need endurance to keep on keeping on, not to let him discourage us, not to let him keep us from doing the things that you want done. Today, as we look at this passage, open our hearts and our minds to, to see how the enemy works in the world and the ways that he seeks to discourage us. Help us to understand that if we quit doing your will and if we quit doing your work, the enemy wins. 
Give us a a commitment to do your will regardless of anything else and the opposition that we face. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and let us go out with a renewed passion to meet the needs and help the people that we come into contact with day in and day out. Fill me with your Holy Spirit as I preach. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Let me speak your words and your ways for your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Nehemiah has come to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. That was the main reason that he came. Where we are, the rebuilding of the wall is going great. There's been some conflict along the way, but still they've pressed on and built the wall. And by the time we get to chapter 6, they're basically finished except for hanging the gates. All along, Nehemiah has faced opposition. And at various points throughout the book, the opposition does something to try to stop the work of God. It has, not, it has not worked. Nehemiah has pressed on. He has not given in to their opposition. He has not been intimidated. And so they, they press on with their attacks. They try different approaches. Instead of launching disruptive attacks on the construction project itself, they now begin to attack Nehemiah personally. In their minds at this point, if Nehemiah stopped, the work would stop. Nehemiah is the one pressing to rebuild the walls. He is the one pushing them to get back to the way they ought to be. If they can discourage Nehemiah and make him stop the work, then everybody else will take their cue from Nehemiah and they will stop the work as well. And as we look at this, it's important to know that Nehemiah himself is not the primary source of their opposition. Uh, The reason Nehemiah is the target is because Nehemiah is doing a great work for the Lord. A humbling fact, but a fact nonetheless, is that you and I are rarely the primary object of Satan's attacks. We, well, just to put it bluntly, we we just aren't that important. The primary object of Satan's attacks is always the work of God. And his goal is always to get us to stop doing the work of God. And if he can stop us from doing the work of God, then he wins. He doesn't need to continue to oppress us. He doesn't need to continue to attack us. All he needs is for us to give up on doing what we know God wants us to do. The enemies of Nehemiah, they could care less about Nehemiah. They just don't want God's will and God's work to continue. And so Nehemiah becomes the object that they focus on in this time. And as they attack Nehemiah to convince him to stop the work, we learn some powerful and important lessons about what happens when we face opposition in doing the will of God. The lesson of Nehemiah 6 is a hard lesson, but it's an important lesson. The main lesson we learn is that that I need wisdom and devotion to continue the work of God. I need wisdom to continue the work of God. Right, Because when we're attacked in the ways that we'll see, there are ways that we have to respond. And we have to know the right ways to respond. We have to know the right ways and the right actions to take. And that requires wisdom that comes from God. We need devotion to continue the work of God. Because it is easy to let the opposition make us say, why bother? Why not just go ahead and quit? We need devotion to God, we need devotion to His work, and we need to say, I am going to do the will of God, I am going to do the work of God, no matter what opposition 
I face. Throughout this passage, the enemies attack Nehemiah in very personal ways. Despite the personal nature of these attacks, Nehemiah perseveres. Nehemiah responds with wisdom. He responds with devotion. In the end of the chapter, he has completed the mission that God has sent him here to accomplish. And in this passage, there are three types of attacks that we will need wisdom and devotion to endure. First is that the enemy attacks with distraction and irritation. Now, as the the wall goes up, Sanballat, Tobiah, and the rest of the opposition decide they want to meet Nehemiah and talk. They send him a letter, and they want to meet on the plain of Ono, it says in verse 2. Now, the plain of Ono was about 25 miles west of Jerusalem, northwest of Jerusalem. And you you can think, because all of this time they've, they've tried to oppose him. And they're trying to say, we want to talk. And so the idea is they're trying to convince Nehemiah that maybe they've had a a change of heart. Maybe they have seen the way Nehemiah worked and the devotion he has to God. And they say, you know what, we want to be a part of what you're doing. And from all appearances, just in what they're saying, they want to make peace. But an important lesson to know is that appearances are not always accurate. Nehemiah understood that they thought to do him harm. Nehemiah showed great wisdom by not responding and and going to meet with them on that day. Their desire to meet with Nehemiah was nothing but a distraction to keep him from doing the work of God. Nehemiah recognized this and he did not go. His response in verse 3 is one of the great passages in all of the Bible. He sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? And I like the wisdom in his response because notice he doesn't question their motives. Now, verse 2, we know he does in his heart, he believes they want to do him harm. But he doesn't address that in his response. In his response, he simply says, what I'm doing is really important. What I'm doing matters. And I just don't have time to stop what I'm doing and come and talk to you. Now, I think at a minimum, this trip would have taken three days. One day to walk, and I think walking 25 miles in a day would have been a pretty good clip. One day having a visit, and then one day walking back. In this three days, the work would have likely ceased because Nehemiah is the driving force Behind the mission. Nehemiah had his priorities in order and he refused to let them distract him from what God wanted him to do. But Sanballat and Tobias and the rest, they were not easily turned down. Look at what it says in verse 4. But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. They weren't easily dissuaded. They sent the message over And over again, hoping that Nehemiah would get irritated enough at the continual request and just say, "Okay, I'll come. If you'll just stop. Any of you parents ever had a kid like that? Sarah will text. And if you don't respond instantly, you get 20 more. Dad, dad, dad. And so before I can respond, my phone will go. By the time it's over, I'm going. Anger, anger. (laughs) Uh, 
And, I, and, and she's hoping she'll get what she wants. Hey, Ken, can I go here? Dad, 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 dad. Can I go? Right? That's the way little kids are sometimes. I think that's the way they are. Nehemiah, come down. No. Nehemiah, come down. Nehemiah, come down. Nehemiah, come down. Nehemiah, come down. Oh my gosh, if you'll just shut up, I'll come down. But Nehemiah responds every time in the exact same way. He never questions their motives. He never challenges their character. He simply says, what I'm doing. It is too important to stop to come and have this conversation with you. Now, in a lot of ways, it can seem that Nehemiah's no is counterintuitive because as Christians, aren't we supposed to be peacemakers? I mean, when we're in opposition with somebody and they want to meet to, to reconcile, aren't we supposed to, to go to them and to try to work it out? And I think the answer is yes and no. Yes, there are times when we are supposed to do that, but no... There are, there are times when we're not supposed to do that. But the key is to have the wisdom to know when each time is. And this, I believe, is the hard part. Because it's easy to always, to say, always go. Always stop what you're doing and go meet with the opposition. Always take that time. But what if what we're doing is really important and the work stops so that we can go? Well, that wasn't a good idea. And it's easy to say, never go. Right? Because I don't know how you are, but I would rather not go. Right? I mean, there has never been a time in my life where someone has been crossways with me and wanted to meet, and I was like, yes, a one-on-one with this person. Best day of my life. I would rather say, no, every single time. But, we can't do that either. So how do we know when we should go and when we shouldn't go? And I would love to give you a three-point checklist to say this is always the way, but I don't think there is. I think what we have to do is to learn from Nehemiah's example. I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I go down to meet with you? In the end, the work of God should take priority over all things. And if it will stop the work, if it will hinder the work, probably it is time to say no. I like what Paul said. He said, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. When you think about the word entangled, you should think about being so wrapped up that you can't really do anything. Your arms, your legs, everything are so wrapped up or entangled that you're unable to move. When soldiers are entangled, they can't complete the mission they've been given. They become missionally ineffective. And the point for us is that we aren't to become so entangled, so distracted, that we cannot do the mission that God has given us. And to keep from being distracted, it requires us to be wise and to be devoted. We need to be wise so that we can recognize, is this a distraction? Is this a legitimate desire to reconcile, to work things out, to meet, to understand? Or is this just something that's trying to keep me from the work that God has given me? Wisdom. But we also need devotion. 
Devotion to God to say, you know what? I don't care that you oppose me. I'm not quitting. Devotion to the mission that God has given us to say, this is important. I, I am, I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Why should the work of God cease while I come and talk to you? We need a devotion to God and to the mission that He has given us so that we can press on through the distractions and the irritations that will oppose us and complete the mission, continue the mission that God has given us. Now there are a couple of quick truths I want to bring out before we go on to the next thing. And the first is that because we say no doesn't mean they're going to say take no. Right? Nehemiah said no, and then they said, yeah, come on. Right? Over and over again they sent this request. Ultimately, the opposition wants to stop the work of God. And so they may request and send for you over and over and over again to distract and to pester and to irritate you until you come down off the wall and meet with them and do their will and stop the work of God. Just saying no once isn't the end all be all. You'll have to say it over and over again. A determination, a devotion to do the work of God. Secondly, if you're determined to stay on the wall and not be distracted, you better be ready to be misunderstood. Not everybody is going to understand why you're determined to do the work of God. Some are going to see your unwillingness to meet as arrogance. Some are going to see your unwillingness to come down off the wall as a lack of concern for people, as wrong priorities. That there is really no way to tell how people will perceive your devotion to God and to His work. The fact of the matter is, many times you will be misunderstood for being devoted to God and devoted to the work that He has given you. And that is often just the price you have to pay. You have to be willing to be misunderstood. The honest truth is, if you are a people pleaser and you want everyone to like you, everyone to think well of you, and everyone to approve of you, you will not stick with the work that God has given you. Because there will always be disapproving people. And you will come down off the wall to meet with them and you will not be approved by God. In the end, you have to choose who is most important to please. Are you living to please God or are you living to please people? If you're living to please God, then understand there are going to be times where people are not pleased with you. We need wisdom and devotion to stick the work of God when we're facing the opposition of distraction and irritation. The enemy also attacks with defamation and intimidation. They send the same message all of these times and Nehemiah never responds, never comes down off the wall. Verse 5, it says, Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, and in it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall, that you may become king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king at Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come. Therefore, and let us consult together. What he's saying in verse 6 is basically, Nehemiah, rumor has it. Rumor has it that you're 
you're setting yourself up to be king. Now, if this were true, this would have been a major blow to the integrity of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, when we meet him, he is a servant of the king. He gets permission from the king to come and rebuild the walls with the indication that after the walls are rebuilt, he will go back to his job and serve the king. If Nehemiah is truly going down there to rebel against the king, this is a shows a lack of integrity on Nehemiah's part. It is treason. And as a general rule, treason was punishable by death. But this is a serious charge being leveled against Nehemiah. And it's important to note that in verse 5 it says it was an open letter in his hand. The reason that's important is letters of this kind were often sealed. Right? There was a wax seal that was put on the letter where it was folded and some sort of an imprint was made upon it so that you could tell it had not been tampered with. But if it was open letter, everyone would read it. Everyone could read it. And, and what do we know about human nature when someone reads a negative report about someone? We tend to just believe it, don't we? Right? It can be reported on Facebook, anything about anyone in the world, and we instantly believe it. I mean, that's just human nature. We, we believe the worst about everyone. And so, Nehemiah has been given this letter that everyone has apparently read, and it attacks the character of Nehemiah. It accuses him of seeking to rebel against the king. And this this defamation of character was was so that it would intimidate Nehemiah, right? Now because of this the king is surely going to hear about it Nehemiah. But if you come and talk to me, maybe I can have some influence with the king and and the bad things that are going to happen won't happen. Look at what he goes on to say. In verse 8, Nehemiah says, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your heart. See, he was hoping to intimidate Nehemiah to bring him down off of the wall, to stop the work, to go to the plain, and to meet with them. The reason is, the reason this would intimidate Nehemiah is, if word really got to the king that Nehemiah was planning to rebel, as a general rule, the kings would re- respond by sending an army to, to raise the city, kill Nehemiah, and then ask questions about whether or not it was true. This would, this would cause, this would really, in a lot of ways, it would put Nehemiah's life in danger if the king ever found out. It was meant to, to scare him. Now, Nehemiah knew these things were not true because Nehemiah knew he was acting with integrity and he was doing The work of God according to the the will of God. And so he responded with wisdom. And he responded with devotion. And he stuck with the work. When we're opposed to the tactics of, of defamation, the thing we want to do most is respond. Defend ourselves in some way. I heard you were doing this. No! No! And there are times where we probably should respond. But there are also times where we probably shouldn't respond. I read a story about Abraham Lincoln and it said that somebody was making a uh, defamation against him and they told him he needed to reply and, and defend himself. And Abraham Lincoln responded and said, I will not give an answer to these fools. My enemies will not believe my answer and my friends do not need it. 
Now, while the attitude may not be best, that's often the right way to go. If you have ever been attacked through people saying bad things about you, then you know what Lincoln said is generally true. Those who are saying bad things about you are not going to believe anything other than the rumors. Anything other than what's being said, they're not even going to listen to truth. So it's a waste of time and a waste of breath to try. At the same time, those that are our friends don't need us to defend ourselves. I think one of the most interesting passages of Scripture that talks about this is Proverbs 26. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. A friend of mine told me once, in talking about arguments, he said, never wrestle with a pig. You get muddy and the pig likes it. It's kind of the point that the proverb writer is making there. Someone is a fool and they're just spreading rumors and you get caught in trying to defend and and fix it. You end up acting just like them. It hurts your testimony. It hinders your ability to do the work that God has sent you to do. So there are times where when the fool is speaking... You just let it go. Because nothing good will happen. But the very next verse says this. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. That has to be the most confusing passage of Scripture ever. Don't answer unless you have to, and then you need to answer. It's basically what he's saying. The reason is, sometimes there, there is a need to respond. Sometimes there is a need to respond to the fool unless they feel puffed up and wise in their own eyes. In this case, it was a a probability that Nehemiah could have been rebelling. If you've read the Old Testament, you know that Israel did not work well under kings that were not of Jewish descent. As a general rule, what they did was they pretended to go along to get along, all the while plotting rebellion. If the king were to do a diligent search of the history of Jerusalem, he would find leaders who rebuilt the walls and who did things in the city and then led them to fight back against the kings that were oppressing them. It was a possibility that this was true. And that's why Nehemiah needed to respond and say, No way! I am not doing this. The trick is to know which accusations must be answered and which accusations must be let go. And that takes a lot of wisdom and it will often go against the grain of our personality. Some of us, we want to respond to each and every accusation. And that's not wise. Because responding to each and every accusation will take us off the wall. Keep us from doing the will of God. Because remember... All the enemy wants is for us not to do God's work. What if Nehemiah determined to respond to every accusation they sent? He would spend all of his time writing letters explaining why this was not true. None of his time building the wall like he was supposed to be doing. If the enemy figures out that you will spend time and respond to every accusation made against you, everything said against your character... That is all you will find is people saying things, you hearing rumors, and you will spend all of your time doing nothing but responding to people. And you will become a fool like them in the process. It will take you down off the wall and you will not be able to do what needs to be done. 
At the same time, people, some do not ever want to respond to an accusation. They just want to let it go and it will all blow over. Eventually it will pass. Things will never, it will just go away if we give it enough time. The reality is that is unwise and it will also keep us from the work of God. When plausible but false accusations are allowed to continue over a period of time, they take on a life of their own. And there will come a point where we have to respond. But once they've taken on a life of their own, there are no responses. If we allow our character to be irreparably marred by these sorts of things, we've lost our ability to influence. We've lost our ability to do the work of God. We don't have to go far to see examples of this. You look at celebrities who so many bad things have been said about them that, that really aren't true. But it doesn't matter. I mean, they come up time, time again. How many, how many political things do you, have you seen on Facebook this week that have no basis in reality whatsoever, but because they fit our preconceived notions about this candidate, it doesn't matter that it's an urban legend. It doesn't matter that it was made up. All that matters is it fits what I want to believe. So I'm going to share it, I'm going to post it, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to tell it. And if we allow that to happen in our lives, it will hinder us from doing the work of God. We try to help someone and yet this rumor has been spread and we have never responded. We have never said it wasn't true. And by not responding, it kind of has given the, the, the acceptance that I don't want to talk about it because it's true and it will go away. And then I'm trying to help someone. I'm trying to talk to them about Jesus. But aren't you the guy that... Aren't you the person... I've heard about you. And we lose our ability to help the hurting, to do what needs to be done. We, we come off the wall. We're forced off the wall. If Nehemiah had not responded to this probable rumor and it got to the king, the king would have pulled him off the wall. The work of God would not have continued. We are absolutely going to have to have wisdom to know how to respond to attacks of defamation and intimidation. And, and again, I can't give you an, an absolute always respond here, never respond there. I, I don't know. But you're going to have to have wisdom to know which accusations need to be responded to and which ones need to be let go. And then there needs to be devotion to the work of God because if people talk about me enough and it begins to hurt my feelings and I'm get really upset, I may just quit. Why bother? It's not worth the effort. It's not worth what I'm having to go through. I'll just quit. And anytime we quit the work of God, the enemy has won because that is his ultimate goal. We need wisdom to know how to respond. We need devotion to the work of God to keep on keeping on regardless of what happens. And then the final way the enemy may attack is the enemy attacks with deception and infiltration. What we see in verses 10 through 14 may be the, the most hurtful attacks of all. 
Nehemiah goes to visit a, a friend of his, what seems to be a friend of his, named Shemaiah. And when he goes to Shemaiah's house, Shemaiah has a suggestion for Nehemiah. He said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple. For they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. Now, given what Nehemiah says in verse 14, My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these works, and to the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. It seems that Shemaiah is trying to pass himself off as a prophet. And in essence, what he's saying to Nehemiah in, in verse 10 is, Thus says the Lord, Go and hide in the temple so they don't kill you. Now, the problem with this is that Shemaiah is not a prophet. In fact, it tells us in verse 10 that he is a, a secret informer who has been hired by Sanballat and Tobiah. And I call this the most hurtful attack of all because it seems that Shemaiah is a friend. And it also seems that Shemaiah is a, a fellow Jew and yet he gets caught up in the opposition to Nehemiah to stop the work of God. Now, I love Nehemiah's courageous response in verse 11. Should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go to the temple and save his life? I will not go in. Right? No way. Cowardice would be deadly to the work of God. How could Nehemiah go and hide and then tell everybody else, but you go get on the wall and build. I'm going to go hide where it's safe. You go endanger your life and build the wall. Nobody's following that guy. So cowardice would have absolutely destroyed the work of God. Nehemiah's response in verse 13 is interesting. Verse 12 and 13. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. But he had pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act in that way and sin so that it might have cause for an evil report that they might have, that they might reproach me. Now what would be sin in Nehemiah going to hide? Well, according to the law of Moses, no one but the priests were allowed within the temple to the sanctuary. Shemaiah was enticing Nehemiah to sin by going to a portion of the temple he was not actually allowed to enter. And this would accomplish several things for the enemies. First, it would stop the work of God. For as we've said, Nehemiah was the driving force. Without him there, many would stop and the work overall would stop. It would discredit Nehemiah as the leader. Because he quit when things got scary, despite challenging others to stand and fight and do what they were supposed to do. And thirdly, it would cast doubt on Nehemiah's devotion to God. How could Nehemiah say he was doing the will of God while he was actively sinning against God? How could he say, God told me to come and build the wall. In order to accomplish this, I'm going to do explicitly what God has commanded me not to do. It would cast doubt on all of that. He could not go there. Those who oppose the work of God, they don't like to go it alone. They like to have others who work with them, and so they do all that they can to gain as many as they can on their side. And sadly, like Nehemiah, we may be surprised to find out who all has joined the opposition. I feel pretty confident in saying that we've all 
either seen one friend turn on another during a time of opposition, or we've been the friend that was turned on during the time of opposition. Hopefully none of us has been the friend that turned on another during a time of opposition. The lesson we learn from Nehemiah is that we need wisdom and devotion to stick with the work of God. Those who oppose us will not always come and openly oppose us. Instead, many times they will come as friends, giving us advice, counsel. care about you, man. I just want what's best for you. And we need wisdom to discern whether or not this is good advice or bad advice. We need the wisdom to discern if it is spiritual or earthly, godly or evil. Are they giving us good, Bible-based, spirit-filled advice? Or does this advice come from our enemy? If the advice requires us to disobey God, then be sure. It is not Bible-based and spirit-filled. It is not coming from a friend, but from an enemy. We always have to discern advice that we are given no matter who it comes from. The Bible repeatedly tells us about Satan that he does not come always in fearful ways. He disguises himself as an angel of light. It's no big thing if he uses people who claim to be our friends to get us to come down off of the wall, stop doing the work of God. Just because someone puts their arm around us tells us they love us and they think this is what would be best, it really does not mean they have our best interest at heart. We need the wisdom to discern whether this is advice from a friend or or advice from an enemy disguised as a friend. And again, if it contradicts God's word in any way, rest assured it is not spirit-filled, Bible-based advice. And we still need... Devotion to keep on even when friends turn against us. One of the main lessons we learn from Nehemiah is that opposition does not give up easily. They opposed Nehemiah from the time he got to Jerusalem until the time that he left. They ridiculed him. They schemed against his work. They threatened to kill him. They discouraged the people. They conspired against him. They attacked him Personally, through it all, Nehemiah was devoted to God and he was devoted to the work and he stuck with it until it was accomplished. It says in verse 15, the wall was finished on the twelfth day of Elul in 52 days. And I love verse 16. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it. and All the nations around us saw these things. They were very disheartened in their own eyes. For they perceived that this was done by our God. Nehemiah experienced the finishing of the work because he stuck with the work. We must let our devotion to Jesus and to the work that he has given us motivate us to continue despite any opposition we may face. If we quit, we miss what God can do and wants to do in us, through us, and for us. Nehemiah had all kinds of opportunities to quit. But if he had, he would have missed out on verses 15 and 16 and seeing the wall completed. It is exactly the same with us. 
There are things God wants to do in us, through us, and for us as we reach out to others, as we try to meet spiritual needs. But if we get disheartened and quit, we miss all of that. I love this verse. It is one of my very favorites. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We will always reap from our service and our devotion to Jesus, always. But that reaping... It's somewhat conditional upon our willingness to stick with it when it gets hard. I wonder how many times we've quit just shy of the finish line. How many times did we give up just before God was about to break through in our lives and to break through in the lives those we're trying to help. The work of God will always be opposed. If you set out to live for Jesus and to do His will, mark it down. There will be opposition. There is no way around it. And if you can only serve Jesus while it's easy, you will never, ever experience all that He can do in you, through you, and for you. If you want to reap from your service to Jesus, you must not grow weary. You must persevere in the work. The enemy, the enemy will persevere. So we must as well. We need wisdom and devotion to continue the work of God because we will certainly face opposition. Let's stand.